Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today to Liz O'Neill and hearing more about her career journey. Liz is a qualified chartered accountant with over 20 years experience in senior finance and commercial roles. She's worked across large New Zealand companies, including Lion, Telecom and Fonterra, including a three-year assignment with her family working for Fonterra in Beijing. She's been CFO, Chief Financial Officer at Coca-Cola Amatil New Zealand since mid-2018. Liz is also actively involved in the community. She's been a mentor for the Auckland University Women's Mentoring Programme since 2011. She's also been a volunteer with Springboard Trust, which is a not-for-profit supporting school principals since 2008 and has been a board member there since 2014. Liz is also on the Board of Trustees for Baradine College. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Liz and her career journey today. Kia ora, Liz, and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, Anna. So the first question, I know when we spoke beforehand, you said you'd listened to a few of the other interviews. So the first question will be very obvious to you that I'm about to ask you. But I'd love to, um, to take you back a little bit to when you were maybe a, a kid or the, you know, the, your earlier years. What were you thinking about in terms of your career? My first recollection is I had this real desire to be a librarian. My mother was a teacher. Books were a big part of our lives growing up. And the library in the small town I grew up in New Zealand was a bit of a magical place. It was full of books. And I really had this desire to be part of that from a career perspective. That, as I progressed through my schooling, I considered occupational therapy. I'm not sure what drew that or made me want to do that as a business. And really interesting for me to hear that kind of that early interest in books and the library. My mother-in-law is a librarian, so I, you know, I can appreciate that as a career. Interesting for me then to hear that actually by the time you got to university, rather than words, it was about numbers. You know, you studied accounting and commerce. What was it then that you drew you to, to that as an area of study? Uh, interestingly, it was a bit of a, a moment that was defined for me rather than something I um, was aware of. My parents had aspirations for all of us to have some form of tertiary education. And initially, as I was looking at, through my seventh form year, looking at what I could do, I, I thought about teaching and that didn't last very long um, in terms of I was surrounded in teachers and I wanted to do something different. So I applied to universe, Auckland University and I actually applied to do women's studies and New Zealand history, more because it had an interest rather than I saw a career out of it. But in that same year, through some work experience, my path changed significantly and was introduced to um, the world of commerce that I hadn't had exposure to before. Fantastic. And tell me then about your first job or, or jobs. What were they like? What did you learn from those? So I do recall very early on, I can't remember what age I had a paper run. I think, again, growing up in a small town, that's you know a, a common occurrence. And that was would have been during my intermediate years. I then worked briefly in retail in a bakery during the early shift when I was in secondary school. We moved out of that small town up to Auckland when I was uh, 14. 
and ended up securing myself a similar role in a bakery in a small um, part of Auckland. Those roles gave me responsibility for handling cash and need to be able to communicate and problem solve with customers and an insight into running a small business through the interactions I had with the owners, the owner operators. And I can imagine also kind of the early founding years of a really strong work ethic because to be working at a bakery it's, it's going to be hard work to do a paper run off at early starts so yeah, yeah I can imagine that that as well and then you said it was not necessarily by accident but you started to be interested then in accounting and commerce and then you decided to pursue that as as more of a career in terms of your, your first role after you'd graduated at, at Lyon I think it was in, in finance what were some of the highlights and challenges of those first few years of your career? Well, actually, the work experience I had in my seventh form ended up being me taking a gap year. And I worked at Lyon during that gap year before I went to uni to do a commerce degree and ended up staying with the company for over six years in a variety of part-time and full-time roles as I completed my degree and started my CA qualifications. I had a mentor who had identified something in my capabilities and helped frame up the options for me in terms of what I could do with those capabilities in that finance and commerce environment and encourage me to consider accounting as a qualification. And that's how I ended up at uni at Auckland with a commerce degree. Really interesting. And sometimes those early mentors do see something in us that maybe we don't always see in ourselves, but again, they actually have quite an influence on our career. Yes. And what is it about finance that you really enjoy? Probably less the numbers. It's more the understanding how a business operates and translating those to numbers. So it's what are the drivers of how businesses work on a day-to-day business and then taking that through to, from a real technical perspective, what does it look like in the P&L? What does it look like on the balance sheet? But it starts with the knowing the business. You know, what makes it tick, which really interests me. Yeah, I can imagine. And then from Lion, talk me through a bit of the your career journey then to, to the role that you're now in today. Sure. So I had a short stint at a small family pharmaceutical firm. And that was only short because I realised quite early on that it was probably too small for me. And I had really appreciated the complexities a large organisation brings um, that I had experienced in those formative stages of completing my degree and starting my career. The next stage was joining a large telco, as you said, I joined Telecom and ended up staying with them for almost 11 years and held a number of different roles during that period as the organisation evolved. I had some great mentors and managers during that time who challenged me beyond where I thought my skill set were and helped me understand the benefits that a finance or commercial skill set can bring to those who aren't in that um, functional area and to help them run their parts of the business, to be that real business partner. Great. And I was one of the things that I was keen to hear more about. You know, you said yourself, actually, that you recognise you quite enjoy being in a large organisation and more of a cor- large New Zealand corporate. That's, that's been your career. Sounds like the complexity is something that interests you. What else have you found to be the benefits of working in a large organisation? Uh, there's the variety that it brings. I have been one who has always looked for things to expand my knowledge. And being in a large organisation, there's opportunities to get involved in projects. There are a number of different roles that come up through that allow you to stay in, you know, and there's a level of comfort in it. You're staying in the same organisation, you're surrounded with the same group of people, but you might be extending your skill set in a different portfolio or different area. And I really thrived 
been able to do that in the environment that I had in the, while I was at Telecom. And it sounded like that then it continued when you went to Fonterra in terms of extending that financial commercial skill set into actually taking on very much more commercial routes rather than you know more focused on finance and also included a stint overseas. How was that? It did. So similar to, to Telecom, I uh, joined Fonterra and they were going through a number of strategic changes that had an impact on the structure and often the finance function is one that um, follows the structural changes in terms of making sure that we as a function are in a position to be able to support the new structure and strategy. And so that resulted in, I think it was close to three roles in three years, which is quite a shift in terms of transition, but got me exposure to a number of different parts of Fonterra. I had also, at the early stages of going into Fonterra, I had expressed an interest in potentially going offshore if the right opportunity came along. It would have to be right for me from a career perspective, but it would also have to be right for us as a family. When I joined Fonterra, I had uh, four-year-old twin daughters. And so it had to be the right thing for all of us if we were going to do that. But neither my husband or I had done a traditional OE after we'd finished university. So we saw the potential that working for such a global organisation could bring us if we put our hand up or if I put my hand up from a career perspective. And partway through, or what ended up being halfway through my tenure with Fonterra, an opportunity came up uh, to go to Beijing quite challenging in its first thinking because China, I had a very short visit, in fact, earlier that same year, but that was that had been my first experience in China. We knew nobody over there. We didn't speak the language. And so it was very daunting to think that there was potential we could do that. But on the flip side, I saw it as a great career step for myself. It was a great challenge for us as a family to do something different And the worst thing that could happen is that it wasn't something that worked out for us. While that's not something we wanted to be the case, we went in with our eyes open that it wasn't the end of the world if things didn't work out. So very optimistic lens that we took into that experience. And I think those stints overseas, that feels like a particularly brave, as you said, and rather daunting (laughs) one to do it with your your family. But obviously it did work out. It did. I think you were there for three years. What did you gain from that experience? Oh, a huge amount. And it's not just personally from a career perspective. As a family, we gained a lot. And I hope my children in the future will thank me for that experience and the opportunities. But from a career perspective, it really challenged me to understand some of the differences in working in a a part of the organisation that was removed from the head office but was very connected with the head office. It helped me understand how leading a team that was very culturally different to myself. I had a great um, leadership team uh, reporting to me. All of them were local Chinese. Many of them had studied offshore or worked for multinationals. They had an amazing command of English, um, whereas my language was nil. But they also had to be my voice then through their teams because I couldn't communicate with the broader team. So that learning how to lead through from a language perspective And we went through quite some significant change during that period that had impacts on individuals being able to communicate the empathy with the team, but not in a way that could be done in the language because I didn't have that language skill. And it also challenged me to the part of the business that I was working in, again, wasn't something I had any 
skill set in. It was large-scale dairy farming. But to go in and to learn so much about large-scale dairy farming, you know, how the government operates in the different provinces, the different tax regimes, it was a whole lot that I came out from a career perspective in terms of that, I guess, my blinkers being taken off as to how other jurisdictions work quite differently to ourselves here in New Zealand. Mm. or in the, even just the Western world. It sounds like a wonderful learning experience, both from a, a personal and a, and a professional standpoint. Very much so. And then just over a couple of years ago now, I think you took on the CFO role at, at Coca-Cola Amatil here in New Zealand. And you were saying that just before we started recording today, that this was your kind of your first real role on the exec team. What do you love about your current work, your current role? Lots of people know Coca-Cola for the brand. What many people don't appreciate that Coca-Cola Amateur is the bottler, is the manufacturer um, and distributor and has all the customer relationships um, for those products. But not only the Coke products, we also uh, distribute for Bean Centauri and we distribute for Monster. So we have a broad portfolio of beverages across those that we drink on a day-to-day basis. We've got um, some really complex partner relationships that make as successful in what we do, but add differences to a normal manufacturing and distribution organisation. We have an amazing culture within Coca-Cola, Amatol, and the the people are what makes the organisation so amazing. And I've got a great finance team and I know I've come into the business with no tenure and I've got some in my team who have a large number of years um, of tenure in the business and, and have so much knowledge. And so it's how we work together to continue to further us as a finance function, to be better at what we do, to tackle some of the challenges that are coming down the path in regards to finance and the systems and processes that have evolved over a number of years. So, you know, big challenges, great people environment. Yeah, really enjoy it. Super. And how have you found that step up into uh, into the CFO role? Um, I think probably the biggest challenge is the exposure. I was, as I was saying before, the number of times I've told my story in the last couple of years, and I hadn't had that opportunity or that need to tell my story as much before. And it's made me reflect a lot more and understand some of the intersect points that I've had during my career and the people that I have had exposure to who have supported me or, or, and or who have challenged me to think differently and to get out of my comfort zone. And I think in telling your story, I guess one of the reasons I started this podcast was, was the idea of you can't be what you can't see. And so mm-hmm. actually hearing women who have reached senior levels telling their stories actually might give pieces of advice, inspiration to a whole range of other women out there in terms of their own careers. There are still, my impression anyway, is that a lot of women study finance accounting, but actually the number of female CFOs is still reasonably few. And equally, I listened to a brief video that you'd done that I found about you, which you said, I don't want to be known as just a female CFO. Actually, I'm here just as a CFO. You know, I've earned my stripes, I've done my time, rather than just being, being seen somehow as a female CFO. What do you think it might take to get more women into that CFO type role? I think it's we've started that conversation and some of the support frameworks that are put in place for women as they progress through the career. Those women who choose to or want to have both a family and a career, ensuring that there are support frameworks for them as they navigate 
through trying to do that and that it doesn't create a barrier to them being successful or, or furthering their career. It's just navigating through it so that the doors are still open in the future. It is still a very traditional function and the, how we work can be very traditional and certainly as a finance function, the lockdowns challenged us significantly because we have traditionally been a desk-based, office-based environment. And if, as we move and evolve through that as a, as a function, as a finance community, I believe there will be um, more opportunities for women to see that there is potential for them to take that path if that's something that they want. Mm. But you're right, there are, I've heard stats before, there are more women who go into a commerce degree or an accounting degree and come out of an accounting degree. But by the time they get to 10 years, 15 years later, the balance has shifted significantly um, Mm. and we lose the female representation around the table. And a number of times, and even now, a number of times I sit around tables and I am, you know, one of very few females, but it's not just the gender as well we need to be talking about. It's it's broader from a diversity perspective, but it's how we support women to see that there are opportunities. And, and that's one of the reasons being involved in the mentor program with Auckland University, because I, you know, not having had that structured mentoring as I went through my early stages of my career from females and understanding some of the the challenges that you might face. Because sometimes if you understand it, you can be set up to succeed through it better. But if you hit a wall, it's challenging to navigate through. So being able to have those conversations with females coming through the end of their university careers and coming into their work life, that they are they, they have their blinkers off to some of the challenges, but also some of the opportunities that exist. Mm, absolutely. And I think mentoring can play such an important role in people's careers. As you said, you never had that formal side, but the informal side for you and how helpful that's been. But now for mm. a long time, you've now been supporting women. And I like the way you described it, taking the blinkers off, because equally the world of work is not like the world of school or even the world of university. There's no. different skills that it takes to thrive and, and succeed in, in the world of work. You know, no nobody's career is totally easy and without its challenges. And you've talked the stint to Beijing was was daunting, challenging, but you know, learned a lot as well. What have been some of your toughest career challenges or moments? There's been two intersect points that I, as I look back, that have really defined where I've had to challenge myself to think differently. One of those was when I chose to leave telecom. I took voluntary redundancy from an organisation I really enjoyed being part of, but through yet another restructure, didn't see an opportunity for me to do something that was going to stretch me. And that's quite a scary thing to contemplate after 10 years, almost 11 years with an organisation, is to go, can I get a role outside? Am, Am I suitable? Do I have transferable skills? Have I boxed myself in too soon? Those types of conversations were wearing away in my head. But I also, on the flip side, knew that if I didn't leave, there was a risk that I would potentially be boxing myself in even further. And I also didn't want that. So that's, you know, that was, that was the first pivot point in my career. The second one was the taking the opportunity to, to work in China. That was a significant upheaval for us as a family. My husband put a pause on his career for a few years, but it was also, again, that opportunity that it had. And it was, it was a little bit of that glass half full mentality is what can it give us versus what are the risks? And I am very risk averse, you know, I'm very self-aware that's the case, but it's also sometimes I have to challenge myself out of my own head. And those were two really tough moments going through making those decisions because I could have stayed in my comfort zone. I could have stayed just doing what I was doing and continued to 
progress. It might just not have been at a speed that I experienced as a result of um, making those changes. And I wouldn't have had the experiences that I had. And that's, you know, when I look back, that's why they feel like both the toughest, but also they're the proudest ones that I was able to challenge myself out of, get out of my own head and work through those doubts that I had in myself and what it would mean and how it would impact the people around me and work through that in a way that I could still see the positives versus the maybe I'll just stay and do what I do now. And and I can imagine particularly with the kind of the finance training, which you know you would be adept at looking out for risks. So uh, so you may well naturally mm-hmm. perceive them mm-hmm. in your your own life. But I like the way actually you talk about that one of your biggest challenges was actually going on in, in your head as you made that transition mm. and how some of those doubts and questions and and weigh and weigh up the risks as well. Very much the imposter syndrome. Yes. How did you overcome that? Because that is a it's a really common thing that I hear coming up for women. How did you personally work through that? I don't think I have. I don't think I have. I think I am continuing to learn how to deal with those voices in my head. I still have doubts. I still challenge myself on a regular basis. And I'm not sure, I I think it goes through ebbs and flows. And I think that it's knowing yourself and being aware enough to go, to almost talk back and challenge yourself and say, yeah, that's fine. But also the other side of, rather than just accepting that negative lens that you're potentially um, being led down. But I have in no way dealt with it. I'm dealing with it daily, some days. I think that's reassuring for other people to hear as well, because I think sometimes <laughs> people see these, you know, they sort of look at, I don't know, Michelle Obama, or I think, oh gosh, she just, she's probably got no doubts at all. Whereas actually the reality is that 95, maybe even 99% of people, not just women, but people yeah, no. actually do have doubts along the, the course of their life and career. And it's not letting yourself be held back by those doubts. So it's still forging on and challenging yourself and taking some of those risks and trying to balance that that maybe more critical voice up with a voice that's a bit more positive and, and encouraging as well. Yeah, super. Mm. And you talked about you some of the toughest times or also some of the proudest times. What, what have been some of your proudest career moments? Uh, well, I think, as I said, those two tough ones. And I think other than that, they've been more incremental. It's been as I've been able to, through demonstrating that my skills aren't locked into just finance, they are transferable to different projects or strategic decisions or reviews that I can be involved and have a voice that's beyond just being the commercial and finance person, that I can have a voice that is more holistic across the organisation. Very traditionally, finance professionals could be, again, boxed into that. They're just there to do the numbers. They can't have a voice on um, how the operations work or how people leadership can be done well, etc. And the opportunity we have in the finance environment is as real business partners, we need to understand the business and have a voice and be involved in the conversation about the business to support the business rather than just have a conversation about the numbers. And I think you often see similar challenges if people have come up through the legal route or the HR, mm-hmm. the people route is actually over time as you step more into those leadership roles, recognising, yes, I can and I should have a view on more than just my specific area of functional expertise. Actually, I can talk, I need to really understand the business and be able to have a, have a view on what's going on and whether it's the operations, the finance, the people or some of the other fundamentals. Yeah, super. You know, when I read through your bio, on top of what I'm sure is a very busy day job, you also do the mentoring, you've got a couple of boards going on, you have kids. When we spoke just before we started, you said you're training for a half marathon this weekend. 
yeah, how how do you find some kind of balance between your work and, and your broader life? I'm not sure there's balance at all times. I think it's how I integrate between those different things. A number of the stuff that I do outside of work, I do because I feel very privileged through the organisations that I have been involved in, that I have learnt skills, um, that I have been given training that many of our not-for-profits, et cetera, don't have the funding to do. And I have ability to, or I believe I have an ability to support them through those skills that I bring to the table because of the experiences I've had in my corporate life. So that's really important for me because it feels a little bit more balanced between that privilege that I feel having been involved in those large corporates um, through my early career especially. But it's finding a way to integrate those things that are important and there'll be some weeks that I get it right and there'll be some weeks I get it very wrong but being able to reflect and go how do I um, change this being physically active is an important part of who I am and that keeps me both physically and mentally healthy and I've been involved in a number of sports throughout my um, 20s and onwards because I do believe it is important I enjoy being outside and keeping physically active because it does help me. I believe it helps me be a better person when when I am in the office. But it's just finding a way to understand what is priority at this particular moment. A number of the people who know me well will know that I am very organised. And so part of that organisation is planning what is going on, for example, in my daughter's lives from a schooling perspective, so that if I can prioritise it, at least I've got it in my uh, lens going forward to manage my life around that at the times it's happening. Very aware I don't always get it right. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody does. I don't think there is some kind of a, a magic secret recipe. It balances. It's a personal thing, isn't it? So what works for you wouldn't work for mm-hmm. me, wouldn't work for somebody else. And very few people that go through their lives totally in balance at all times. I think it's, as you said, recognising actually maybe this week wasn't so balanced for me. So how can I get that back a little bit more? What do I need to to add or take away to, to make that balance come back and recognising for you, it's being organised, it's doing some things outside of work that really fulfil you, it's having some exercise, getting outdoors, that all those things are, are what works for you. Absolutely. And where do you see your career now heading in the future, Liz? I don't know. I've never been a great one for planning. Uh, as much as I'm organised, planning my career has been probably the one thing I haven't figured out how I do well. I've been more, a little bit more opportunistic as I've managed through my career and a little bit of when the opportunities come through my way, assessing them as to whether or not they feel right rather than targeting a particular role or organisation or function with a five or 10 year plan. I certainly 10 years ago would not have said um, CFO was a role I wanted to do, but through you know various elements that have happened during my career, that's where I am now and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So I, I don't know where the future holds. I enjoy the governance part of my career as it stands, whether or not there's an opportunity to lean into more of that possibility. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) That's okay too. I think we kind of have this perception that maybe we should know what our 10-year career plan is. But actually, if that kind of that that opportunism and when things come your way, just assessing is this this the right next step, that's worked for you well so far. And I guess having that belief that actually 
at a certain point in time, there may be a next opportunity that that feels interesting for you and that might stretch you and, and grow you in terms of your career. Yeah, great. And one last question, and I'm guessing in your mentoring role with, with Auckland University, you'll probably do end up giving quite a bit of career advice. But what career advice would you have for other women? I guess there's a couple of things. And the first one comes with a caveat. And I guess, you know, that when opportunities do come your way, take those opportunities and the caveat being if they feel right and if you can manage through them. Because the risk of just saying yes to everything is you you can get into an environment where you are overloaded or you aren't managing well. And so it's being aware of what this opportunity can bring you. How do you balance that with everything else that's going on? But not the counter to that is not saying no because you're too busy. It's It's at least taking the time to assess it. If I hadn't said yes to taking a gap year, at the end of school and hadn't had that exposure to a corporate environment, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I had in those first formative years of my career at Lion on from there. And, and the same with if I hadn't said yes to the big challenge of going to China, I wouldn't have had the experiences that I had. And it's say yes, but be aware through the analysis of does it fit with where you are? Is it important? Rather than just saying, no, I'm too busy. I think very much learning from your experience is being able to reflect, understand what goes well, what doesn't go well, what's important for you. Those criteria that as you assess your next move or that opportunity that you're considering saying yes, is what are the criteria that are important? Is it the organisation? Is it the people you work with? Is it the mentoring you get? Is it the career stretch you get? Being clear for yourself what is important. And I certainly haven't found that until a lot later in my career as I've reflected back and gone, I made the wrong move. I'll make the most of it right now, but I, I might have made a too sudden a move rather than doing it for the right reasons. I continue to learn as I go along in terms of those things that are important to, to um, me and being adaptable to change. Uh, one of the learnings I've had from being in very large organisations that both in the times that I've been in them have been through some strate- significant strategic change and been in the function that I am in that change from a structure perspective, so role change, restructures, etc., have become very much a regular part of my career journey in, in most organisations. And that's challenging. You do have to find a level of resilience through managing through that. But the, again, the counter to that or the, the positive side is, you know, the opportunities that have come out of those, those restructures and those structural changes, the opportunities that I've had to further my career and do something different and be challenged to do something different has really stretched me. But it's not without the real pressure it puts on yourself because, again, that's where imposter syndrome can really come into the fore if your role has been made redundant, that it's personal. And many, many times it's not. It's about the organisation having to shift and the function that you're part of having to shift as well. And it's how you find the positives out of that shift if the organisation is somewhere you want to stay. Super advice. And I love the bit about, yes, take the opportunities, but if they feel right, doing that assessment as well, not saying yes to everything. It's so important, as you say, to reflect as you go and and take the learning from the different opportunities that that you've had. But I think ever increasingly that adaptability, the agility to be able to handle change, the resilience to be able to 
to cope when things didn't go quite as you may have thought they would have done or as you might have planned and mm-hmm. to be able to see the, the positives out of the change um, absolutely is, a, is a, a great piece of advice. Liz, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today for me to hear more about your journey and the interesting kind of transition into considering finance then as a career through your progression through different organisations, that stint over in Beijing and what that gave you, right through to actually thinking about your broader life and and the balance and, and how you find that through. So thank you so much for taking the time to share that. Thank you, Rena. Appreciate it. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.